So we're going to read Ruth chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth and the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you... May you have standing in Epaphra and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given birth, him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Our great father, we do thank you for this, this word to us. We thank you for uh, the way that you have revealed yourself to us through your word uh, that leads us ultimately to your great son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Thank you for this story of Ruth. Thank you for the way in which it um, shows us your great kindness to not only to one woman, but uh, through Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, uh, even, Father, your kindness to the whole world. 
Thank you, Father, for that. Help us today, please, to lift our eyes to see the great things that you have done through Jesus and are doing and will do and how we can and be swept up in them. And we pray that for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, uh, uh, I remember as a kid, maybe you had a similar sort of experience, I remember as a kid being really fascinated by the idea of an oasis. There'll be a picture come up on the screen of an oasis. You know what an oasis is, right? Uh, it's kind of this... In, uh, I remember being fascinated by this, how, but on one level, how it could happen, but just the idea of it, you know, in, in a, a, a desert land with desert stretching for ages and ages, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there comes this, uh, this eruption of life and green and water and it kind of just jolts with everything that's around it, it kind of doesn't seem to fit. I don't know if you felt this, but as, it seems to me that the Book of Ruth is a little bit like a kind of oasis, um, it's a little bit like that. It's kind of, it, it, we saw this when we started Ruth, when it says Ruth set in the days of the judges. Uh, it's set in a, a really dry and dark and barren kind of time in the history of the Bible, a time of real chaos and violence, a time when everyone, remember that refrain in Judges, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Uh, and it leads into this spiral of moral chaos and confusion and it's really kind of barren sort of time and against it's against that backdrop this dry desert of the time of the judges it's against that backdrop that Ruth kind of springs up like a bit of a an unexpected oasis it's a it's a beautiful story with these outstanding characters right you've got Boaz and Ruth and we've seen just how incredible they are but there's also I think there's a bit of an oasis within the story of Ruth itself Within Ruth itself, if you remember right back at chapter 1, the first chapter of Ruth, the whole story starts with a kind of, in a kind of a desert, right? This, there's that famine scene right at the start. There's a famine in Israel, in Bethlehem. And Naomi, this Israelite woman, leaves her home in Bethlehem, leaves the land of Israel with her husband and her sons. And you know the story, if you've been here, goes to Moab, where tragedy strikes, uh, the, 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 the desert-like picture of chapter 1 isn't just to do with food. It's also a real, you know, there's just, it's like a desert on every level. <laughs> Tragedy strikes. Naomi loses both her husband and her sons. And her whole life feels like a desert to her. She, do you remember this right back in chapter 1, um, in verse 21, when she gets, she kind of returns to Bethlehem and she says those words, if you remember them, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi is empty, dry, bitter. She's alone. Or so she thinks. Right? Or so she thinks. But of course, she's not really alone. She's not really alone. Uh, she has Ruth. She has this incredible daughter-in-law, this foreigner, a Moabite woman, who sticks with her, who returns with her to Bethlehem, who says, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. She has Ruth, she's not alone. But, and we've seen this as we've looked through the story. It's not just that she's got Ruth. That's not the only reason why she's not alone. There's actually something much more deeper and significant underlying that. Uh, she's not alone because she has God himself. God did bring her back. She was right about that. God did bring her back, but he didn't bring her back empty. He brought her back with a plan to bring a fullness that she couldn't imagine. 
a plan that even her bitterness and blindness couldn't stop. So it's kind of like against the desert of chapter 1, you get this oasis starting to spring up through the rest of this beautiful story of God's loving kindness to Naomi and, and to Ruth and even to Boaz himself. And sort of we, we saw that last week. We've seen how it's played out. The, they kind of arrive back at the beginning of the barley harvest. Ruth goes over to, to pick the leftover grain up after, in Boaz's field, who just happens to be a relative of Naomi, this idea of a guardian redeemer, and that'll come up again today. Uh, but we saw last week how eventually the harvest is finished, right? And Naomi and Ruth, they put into place a, a, this bold plan. Uh, to, they put before Boaz the possibility of him marrying Ruth. Uh, of Ruth, uh, we, we had this image last week, remember? The image of the, the mother hen gathering her chicks. Uh, the, the image of Ruth sort of coming under Boaz's wing, under his protection and as her guardian redeemer. Uh, under his wings, as she has already come under the wings of God. Uh, Boaz is keen, we saw that last week, and again, at the end of last week, we had a bit of a cliffhanger, right? We were left with this problem. There's a, there's a closer claim, this closer guardian redeemer, this guy who's got this uh, legal right, to, and we'll look at that in a moment. That's where you get to in chapter 4. Um, but friends, uh, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a technical background here, that, but it's actually really important for this chapter. This whole idea of what a guardian redeemer is, we have mentioned it on the way through, um, but just uh, it, it kind of comes into play more and more in this chapter here. This idea of a guardian redeemer, it's not primarily actually about marriage, it's actually primarily about land and property. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, built into Israel's law, was this idea that um, no, they weren't actually the absolute owners of the land that they were living in. They didn't own the land. Uh, it belonged to God. It belonged to Yahweh, their God. And each kind of family in Israel owned a bit of land, but it was more like a leasehold than a freehold, if you know what I mean. Like It's more like they, they were, had a permanent lease of this land, but they always knew that it belonged to God. This whole idea of a redeemer, a guardian redeemer, and you read about it in Leviticus, uh, the, uh, Leviticus 25, if you're interested to kind of look it up. This whole idea of, of redemption of a redeemer came up with the question of what if someone's too poor to keep hold of their land uh, and they kind of have to sell it? What if someone has to sell their land? Uh, this guardian redeemer had the right, it was a family member of that poorer person, they had the right to buy the land back so that the land itself stayed in the family stayed in the family line, um, the fa under the family name. They kind of paid the price for it. It's a bit weird to us, but basically it was kind of a built-in reminder that the land was never their possession to just do with whatever they wanted. It always was a gift to them from God to these families, and the families could always kind of buy it back the, from if it uh, kind of went out of their possession. Anyway, a little bit technical, I know, but it will hold that thought. Uh, there's another law, though, coming into play here. Uh, it, along with this law about redeeming someone in your family, uh, there's another law that talked about what happened to a widow if she's childless and doesn't have anyone to inherit her property. Uh, that law said the nearest kind of eligible relative, an eligible kinsman, um, could marry the widow and any kids that they had would be legally the widow's 
dead husband's kid. If that makes sense. So the kind of the, the kids would inherit the land and it would stay under the name of um, the original uh, husband of the widow. If that makes sense, it would be kind of stay under his name. Um, it kind of crops up through the Bible, so important to know. Anyway, that's all in the background as we get to this beautiful chapter 4, right? This incredible chapter 4. It's all in the background of Boaz, and if you have your Bibles there, probably helpful to have that open and um, there's a handout there with a bit of an outline. Uh, it's all in the background as Boaz early in the morning gets up. We saw that last week, right? And kind of Ruth's already gone back to Naomi. Boaz gets up early in the morning, uh, and goes to the town gates. The town gates, this kind of, where all, uh, wherever, it's kind of like an ancient court, law court, really important place. Uh, all the elders would make formal decisions, you'd buy and sell things, business deals are done there. And it's another one of these coincidences, we've seen these all the way through Ruth, these incredible coincidences, these signs that God is actually weaving this story together. You see it there uh, in verse 1. You read, just as Boaz sits down, the other guardian redeemer he had mentioned comes along. Uh, and Boaz doesn't waste any time here. He, he kind of calls this guy over, tells him to sit down, and then he calls a bunch of the elders over and gets them to sit down too. Right? So you've kind of got the, the, the scene. He's, he's not wasting his time. He's going to get this thing done. He's going to figure it out. And you can feel the tension here. This guy, who this other guardian redeemer, who's closer, who's got a closer claim than Boaz, uh, he doesn't know anything about what's going on. He's just seen his cousin or whoever he is, Boaz. Uh, Boaz calls him over and tells him to sit down. He doesn't have any idea uh, about Boaz's hopes of marrying Ruth. Uh, he doesn't know that he's, he's the only guy standing in the way of making that happen. Everything depends on what this guy's going to do. Everything depends on it. Uh, and it makes Boaz even more impressive, right? I imagine, you know, if you kind of were writing the story of Ruth today, maybe, you know, or if, uh, if it went another, a different way, Boaz could have kind of, instead of sitting down at the town gate, he could have grabbed this guy in some dark corridor in Bethlehem and uh, kind of roughed him up a bit and told him, you know, uh, basically forced him. He could have done that, right? He could have use some other way to kind of force this other guy to let Boaz redeem the land and marry Ruth. But that's not Boaz's way. And again, it's this character of Boaz that we've seen. He trusts God, right? He trusts the Lord. He knows that Israel is under God's wings, under God's loving kindness. So he trusts God and he trusts the way God has set things up for Israel. He is shrewd, right? We're going to get to that. He is kind of He's really shrewd in the way he kind of goes about it, but he doesn't, he, he refuses to go the dodgy way. He refuses to do anything illegal. He refuses to do anything underhanded. Uh, and if this other guy did end up wanting to go ahead and marry Ruth and acquire Naomi's land, uh, we're left thinking presumably that Boaz would have sort of let that happen. It was the, he would have accepted that. But at the same time, he's not just going to sit back and not do anything, right? He's promised to sort it out today. He's determined to do it. And so uh, let's read from verse 3, if you can, you can sort of read along in your, in your heads. Uh, so the elders looking on. We've got the guy sitting down, verse 3. This is what Boaz says to this guy. Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative 
Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, do so. But if you'll not tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Uh, it's the first time actually we hear that Naomi's selling her land. We're not entirely sure what's going on there, why, but probably because uh, the harvest is over now and Ruth is no longer picking up grain. Uh, so they need somewhere to live. So Naomi's got this kind of family property and she's got to sell it. They've, they've got to sell it. And this guy, this nameless, closer relative, he's got first dibs on buying this land, buying the property. Uh, Boaz is totally upfront about he wants to buy it himself, but he kind of respects this other guy's right to do it, right to redeem it. Uh, and, and when you get to the end of verse 4 there, it's kind of like the wind gets totally taken out of your sails. The whole story has been pointing, building up to this point. And then at the end of verse 4, the relative says, I will redeem it. Oh, you know what's going on there. But Boaz, he's not done yet. He's got one more card to play, right? This guy, Boaz, he's got one more card to play. And this is where, this is where those two laws I talked about before come into play. Both of them sort of locked together here and come into play. The one about redeeming the land of the relative and the other about marrying the relative's widow. Verse 5 says, uh, Boaz said, oh, and you can kind of see him sort of sitting back and saying, by the way, <laughs> oh, by the way, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And, you know, the relative kind of, from this point on, stops in his tracks and starts to backpedal, to mix my metaphors. Uh, he kind of just goes right back, right? Uh, if he went through to redeem the land, he'd also place himself under an obligation to marry Ruth, and any kids they had would be legally Ruth's um, dead husband's kids, Marlon's kids. So this nameless relative wouldn't get the land himself. He wouldn't sort of own the land for his, his, uh, his family into the future. He'd lose his money and he'd lose the land. So he, he does some number crunching. He's a, he seems to be a pretty um, kind of calculated sort of guy. He does the numbers and in verse 6 he says... Then, if that's the case, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I, I cannot do it. And finally, at this point, right, the tension's cleared. The path's clear for uh, Boaz and Ruth to marry. And you can kind of see Boaz trying to hold back his smile as they go through the motions to make it legal. There's some weird stuff about um, sandals in there. Bit of a smelly way to do your legal transactions, but apparently that's how they did it. Um, but you can kind of you can kind of see um, Boaz uh, holding back his smile. Yeah, you, know, you can. And then then you get this, down in verse eleven. There's this blessing uh, that. And, and did you see there in verse eleven? It's not just the elders who are who Boaz has called round. It's everyone. He's sort of gathered a crowd around him. Everyone's looking on and now maybe cogs are starting to fall into place. People are starting to see what's going on. 
And all the people at the gate, the whole, it's like the whole town is kind of joining in on Boaz's happiness. The formal deal's been done about the land, but they all, uh, I think at this point everyone's sort of clicked and they know what's going on behind it. It's not just about Boaz getting a bit more land. They know uh, that really what's sitting behind it is, is Boaz's love for Ruth and they overflow with kind of affection for them both. And you, what they say is totally over the top, right? You, I do this sometimes. Um, I, you know, I say to people, oh, look, I hope you have a fantastic day, right? Or uh, I hope it's an awesome time, what you do. And I think later, I, I kind of think about the things I say, and I think most of the time I'd probably just settle for an above-average day, right? You know, but uh, uh, anyway, it's a good thing to say. Hope you have a, an awesome day, or you know, that's that's fine. And it's and it shows you wish the person goodness, but it's kind of over, that's well, this is over the top, kind of times a bazillion, right? The blessing that they give to Boaz and Ruth, uh, you can see it there, verse eleven and twelve. Over the top blessing, they say to Boaz, May Ruth be like Rachel and Leah, who together built the family of Israel. Uh, may you be famous. May your family be like Perez, the son of Judah. Judah, the head of a whole tribe of Israel, the one who was given incredible uh, promises that a king would come from his line. Um, if I was Boaz, I'd probably be thinking, Thanks, guys, but you know, don't get too carried away. <laughs> I'm happy about it and everything, but it's not like I'm anything special at this point. Uh, and it, uh, you know, it might have been just this kind of common blessing that they would give to people who got married or whatever, just to say, basically, look, we just are really happy about what's going on, and we we hope you know we hope God blesses you richly through this. Um, but of course, if you've been reading Ruth. All the way up to this point, you should kind of start to expect that something deeper is going on here. You've seen God at work through this whole story, weaving this story together. There's something more going on. There is. But just hold that thought. Uh, you get to verse 13. Uh, and it's this picture of wonderful fullness, right? This picture of fullness, the kind of heart the spring of the oasis, if you only, of this fullness for Boaz and Ruth. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Fullness for Boaz and Ruth. But it's really interesting, isn't it? They get one verse and then you get Naomi who gets kind of a couple of paragraphs there from verse 14 onwards. It's not just fullness for Boaz and Ruth. There's fullness for Naomi as well. The camera kind of shifts in verse 14 to Naomi. In lots of ways, this is really a story about Naomi, just as much as it's about Ruth and Boaz. Uh, she, we saw this right, she came back to Bethlehem empty, bitter, uh, a, a dry kind of wasteland in her own heart. But she wasn't alone. We saw that in, in, in reality. She had Ruth. But that's how she felt. And then from verse 14, you get this. It shows this overwhelming reversal from emptiness to fullness. Naomi's own fullness, her own oasis. 
You know something really, really interesting there, though? Uh, maybe you picked it up as we read through in verse 14. Uh, if you can see it, it's hopefully up on the screen. The women said to Naomi, Praise be the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Now, who's the guardian redeemer we've been kind of thinking about? It's Boaz, right? Boaz is the guardian redeemer. We're thinking Boaz here. The Lord. So they're saying, Praise be the Lord. Who has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Praise God for Boaz, is what we think. May he be famous in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Then the twists, right? Keep reading. The daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has married him. Wait a second. No, that's not what it says. Your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better than seven sons, has given him birth. See what it's saying there? Like, uh, we, at that, up, to, up to that point, we think the, the guardian redeemer they're talking about is Boaz. But this baby boy, this unexpected child born in Bethlehem, he is a redeemer too. He's a re- he, he was a deliverer, a helper. Someone who would take away Naomi's poverty. Boaz had redeemed her land. He'd sort of provided for her physically. Uh, But this new redeemer would deliver her in a much deeper way. And we're left, it's interesting about Naomi, we're kind of left a little unsure about where she's at on lots of different levels. We're left hoping, I think, that she will be delivered from her spiritual poverty too. Uh, that her darkness towards God, who, remember in chapter 1, she knew that God was sovereign, but she didn't believe he was good. We're left uh, hoping that this won't just be, that it won't just be the women of the town who say, praise the Lord, but it'll be Naomi herself, who was able to see God's loving kindness to her all through this journey, her whole life. Well, friends, last week uh, we looked, didn't we, at the kindness of God through this story of Ruth. The the unexpected, the overflowing kindness that kind of flowed into people and flowed out of them. Uh, we, We can see God's kindness, the intimate kind of weaving of this story. But there's another aspect of God's kindness that comes into focus, I think, here in chapter 4. The word's not mentioned, but it kind of carries into here. Uh, That word kindness throughout Ruth is actually a really important one. It's a really strong, rich word. And what it it speaks of more than just simple acts of kindness, it includes those, it speaks of God's deep, loving faithfulness to his people. His determination to bring about his good purposes, his, his, his faithfulness to his promises, It's kind of capital K kindness, big kindness. And there's this beautiful thing here, I think. This is a small, intimate story, right? It's just a small story about two women who (laughs) experienced such a desert in their life and they're brought from emptiness to fullness through the kindness of a redeemer, uh, all brought about, woven by the kind hand of God himself. But their story, you see how this book ends. Their story plugs into the much bigger story of God's 
kindness, his determination to bring about an end to sin and evil and to set up his good kingdom forever. They named the son Obed. See there, verse 17, the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And as soon as you get to that point, you realise, oh, this is such a bigger story than I ever thought. Right? Uh, David, right, the greatest king in Israel's history, the man after God's own hearts. This is the story. This is a, not just a story of fullness for Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, this intimate kind of little family scene. This is actually a story of fullness for the whole nation of Israel through great King David himself. But even then, it's much, much more than that. This isn't up on the screen, uh, but if you want, you can flick to uh, Matthew chapter 1, otherwise you can just listen. The, the whole New Testament um, draws a lot of these things together, actually. And the, the, first, the very first chapter of the New Testament, there's this genealogy. It's a bit of a weird way to start the New Testament, the story of Jesus, to give this you know, fairly long genealogy, a list of names. And on one level, you can kind of think, well, he probably didn't go to, the guy who, you know, Matthew probably didn't go to um, uh, a good school to teach him how to write gripping novels or something, to open up with a long list of names. But uh, if, you, if you've read through these stories in the Old Testament, you see just how incredible this genealogy is. I won't read it all. Uh, I'll re- we'll read some of it, though. Uh, this is from Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. There's Judah, we, we saw Judah. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram goes on. Uh, the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. He goes on from David and tells the story, the genealogy, all the way down to Jacob, verse 16 of chapter 1 of Matthew, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Uh, friends, this is. Do you see what's going on in this story of Ruth? This is not just the story of the fullness of these two women and a man in a little backwater town in Israel. It's the story of fullness for Israel and through Israel, the story of fullness for the whole world. That chapter in Matthew that it connects this story right back to Abraham, right back to the very beginning of God's saving plan for His world. And threads it right through to Jesus himself. Jesus, the perfect and eternal king over God's kingdom. The one who brought about this ultimate redemption that we sing about through his own blood for us. Friends, when the Apostle John reflects on Jesus' birth, he writes these really interesting words. He says at the start of John's Gospel, he says, From his own fullness, we have received grace upon grace. The gospel of Jesus is, in the end, the story of God's offer of fullness 
not just his offer, his achievement of fullness and oasis in the desert of this world. It's the promise that one day that oasis won't just be... That that oasis will take over, actually. Uh, And that this world and all of Jesus' people will be renewed in life and peace. The gospel of Jesus shows God's good desire for our fullness. Friends, this fullness is ours. It's ours. And can you start to see the kind of threads that are joined together here? Um, Not all of us feel fullness. Many of us have times of feeling like we're Naomi in chapter 1, in a bit of a desert... But you see, friends, this fullness, this fullness is ours, actually, through another son born in Bethlehem, through our great Redeemer who purchased us with his own blood. Naomi's delight when she holds little Obed in her arms, Naomi's delight is kind of amplified hugely when Jesus is born. You notice, have you ever noticed that when you hear the stories about when Jesus is born, everyone starts singing, right? Everyone's kind of overwhelmed. Everyone's singing. Angels start bursting out. His mum writes this song. Uncle Zechariah in Luke's Gospel sings, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. See what that's saying, friends? We're not actually kind of like Ruth in, uh, Naomi in chapter 1, that is, we're not waiting for our Redeemer to be born. We're not waiting for this baby who would bring us fullness. God's fullness is ours through Jesus. It is ours now by faith. It will be ours by sight completely and forever in the age to come. Maybe, friends, you know, you know that you need redeeming you know that you need saving from a kind of emptiness inside you uh, the story of ruth and and through ruth the much bigger story that it connects to uh, is a story that tells you of real and lasting fullness that can be yours really through trusting in jesus It doesn't mean easiness here and now, but a deep fullness that no suffering, no darkness, no desert can ever take away. Our friends, like Ruth, uh, there's something else going on here, though. God's desire is for our fullness. He's achieved it in this this, uh, much greater baby born in Bethlehem. There's one other thing that I just wanted to draw out for us, I think, from this chapter. Like Ruth, if, if you and me, if we have come under the wings of Yahweh, under, under the wings of Israel's God through Jesus, something similar, the, the same sort of thing happens for us as what we see in Ruth. See what happens? Our small little stories of ourselves, our stories become swept up into that great story swept up into God's great plan for the whole world, for the entire creation. Maybe you think your story, the story of your life is small or trivial, insignificant, you know, are our lives simply one quick kind of 
furious gasp of activity before we die. Um, we live in what some people have called an age of distraction, right? We live in a kind of age of distraction, I think, today. It's, it's a complex sort of thing, I think. But part of the reason, maybe, perhaps, part of the reason that we become so easily kind of distracted by our, our cares and our troubles, but not only that, but just by everything around us, is that it's so easy to have our vision reduced, isn't it, to little things, little screens, little worries, little desires, little ambitions. Perhaps one reason that happens, though, is that we don't see this. We don't see, firstly, that God offers fullness, complete satisfaction through him. And so we kind of look for that fullness everywhere else, right? In stuff, uh, in relationships, in devices, in, in work, in whatever it else it is that you're seeking fullness in. Things that we know promise us fullness, but just can't deliver that ultimately. Uh, we don't see this often, I think, and we need to keep reminding ourselves of it, this, this reality of fullness that God brings us into. But on top of that, perhaps we don't also see that not only does God offer fullness, God brings us into an adventure, friends. Through our Redeemer, do you see what's going on, what you kind of get a glimpse of in Ruth? Through our Redeemer, we become characters in this great story, the greatest story that's ever been told. We become active kind of characters in it as we as we carry out Jesus' commission to take the gospel to the world, as we, uh, to make disciples and to, uh, as, we, uh, as we grow in love for God and for each other and for our world around us, uh, as we together, as we kind of are on mission for Jesus and as we together wait for him to make all things new. Do you see what goes, what, what, uh, Ruth, the kind of what's happening through Ruth opens us up to this reality for us too. We are swept up in this great story our stories, however small and insignificant we think they are, they actually become invested with incredible eternal significance for us through our great Redeemer. Friends, just a couple of thoughts there as we finish up. But this little story of Ruth has been such a great blessing to us, hasn't it? Uh, it's shown us God's sovereign work, even through suffering. Uh, it's, it's shown us God's kindness, even to unlikely people like uh, the foreign Moabite S. Ruth. Uh, it's shown us the way God's kindness kind of overflows through his people to others. It's shown us just one small story that plugs into the great story, the great story of fullness through this world's great Redeemer and King, our, our King, our Lord Jesus, the Son born in Bethlehem. Uh, there's so much there that, to give thanks to God for, and that's what I'm going to do now. Let's, if you'd like to join me, let's pray together as we finish. Father, we do thank you for this, this story of Ruth. We thank you for uh, the, uh, opening our eyes through it, for the fullness you, you, have brought in, you had in store for Naomi and for Ruth and Boaz. Thank you for weaving this story, this really tender, um, touching story in many ways. Um, but Father, thank you for um, just showing us how this story plugs into your great story of kindness, of loving 
sovereign kindness of redemption, of purchasing us through the blood of your own Son. Father, please help us to trust you. Help us to trust you that you desire our, our good, uh, that um, in Jesus there is fullness. Uh, help us to live in line and um, in line with the great story that you have brought us into through him. Father, we pray that the lives that we live will be a fragrant offering to you uh, for your glory and for the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.